coming up on this week's podcast. Have you ever felt that God has let you down in that? You know, we all have this, our ideas on that. I, I have a friend who uh, was gravely ill a couple years ago, and she was so surprised that God would allow that to happen to her. She said, I always took that verse from Psalm 91. He, the angels will guard you so your foot will not stumble against the stone. She said, that was my life verse. That was my promise. And God let me down because he let me get so ill. So what can we expect from God? Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Julie Coleman with today's message. A few years ago, um, I was speaking at a retreat up in New York State, and while we were gone, Melanie and I went together, um, we, uh, there was apparently a very big thunderstorm that came into the area, and uh, we had a microburst in our neighborhood, and it, you could see, almost draw, if you were from a bird's eye view, you could look and see the line where those straight line winds came down um, the street over from us, the neighbor actually had a garage collapse, there were trees down, just almost in a line. Um, across the neighborhood, and we lost a very large tree. <laughs> um, it it was, looked like it was about 75 years old. It was one of the famous tulip poplars that are always falling over and destroying houses around here. Um, and <laughs> it just missed our porch. It, it just clipped the very corner of the back porch, which was really fortunate for us, but because it damaged the house a little bit, the insurance company paid for it. If it didn't touch the house, we would have been on our own. So we're really excited that it had done that. But um, the, the, thing, the thing that um, was interesting about this was my dog, Sasha, who we'd had for a couple of years at that time, had never reacted to thunderstorms ever. She just was fine with it. It would be thundering and lightning, and she wouldn't even flinch. But she was all alone in the house. We were up at the retreat. My husband was at work. And so when that tree came down, she was all by herself, poor baby. And, you know, I'm sure the ground thundered when that thing came down. And, you know, it was a big and violent storm. Well, since that day, she's scared to death of storms. And as soon as the slightest thunder, you know, even an airplane, she perks up her ears. And she starts getting scared. And what she'll do is, in a thunderstorm, sometimes she'll hang around us, supposing we're going to protect her from lightning, but, you know, whatever. But anyway, the other thing she does is she goes into the interior hallway upstairs because it's the only place in the house that's totally without windows, and she lays down there. Good instincts, don't you think? For a dog, good, good place for safety. Um, that's, what she, that's where she looks for, the safest place to hide. Well, humans have an instinct to run as well when we're in danger. And so we have that instinct. And Psalm 91, the psalm I'm going to be speaking about today, is about that very thing, about how um, God is going to be our protector and our refuge in times of trouble. Um, So as we look at Psalm 91 together, um, I want to go ahead and and read that uh, with you. And I'll I'll have it up on the screen. You can turn to it in your Bibles. Um, But we want to take a look at two things. We want to look at what we can expect of God when we are under attack and what we're being attacked with. So we'll go ahead and read this psalm together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. 
He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies each day, for the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guide you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're excited to read this psalm about the protection and the refuge that you offer us. Please help us, God, with your Holy Spirit to give us spiritual understanding, to understand this passage um, and and what you are really revealing about yourself. We we want to put our hope in you, but we don't want to have false hopes, hopes of things that you will or won't do for us. Um, Help us, God, to learn the truth from this and help us to uh, learn to trust you more through what the psalmist has revealed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're all going to face times when we're under attack. Uh, The psalmist has just told us that God has our back, even when we're under attack. Um, We can depend on him for rescue and deliverance. But have you ever felt that God has let you down in that? You know, we all have our ideas on that. I I have a friend who uh, was gravely ill a couple years ago, and she was so surprised that God would allow that to happen to her. She said, I always took that verse from Psalm 91. He, the angels will guard you so your foot will not stumble against the stone. She said, that was my life verse. That was my promise. And God let me down because he let me get so ill. Um, he didn't run interference for her when she thought that she would. So what can we expect from God? What is this psalm talking about? And what can we get from it? So we're going to take a look at it. Um, we're going to be looking first at the protection that God offers Then we're going to look at the enemy that it's talking about and then how he's going to deliver us. If you look at the back of your bulletin, there's an outline there that you can follow along with so you can kind of see where I'm headed um, with this whole thing. The beauty of um, Psalm 91, or actually all the Psalms, is the uh, the fact that it's Hebrew poetry. Now, Hebrew poetry is very strong and very visual, and it gives us these dramatic graphic pictures of God's truths. I love Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, and um, this one is no exception. There's a lot of metaphorical language, word pictures that go on in here. And so we're going to take a look first at the four word pictures that God gives um, talking about his provision. So God is our protection is the first idea we're going to talk about. We love the idea of a shelter and protection where we're experiencing trouble. And who better to run to but the God of the universe? I mean, who else do you want on your side, right? <laughs> and so God gives or the psalmist gives us four metaphors, four pictures of God's protection. So we're going to take a quickly look at one of each of these four of these. 
The first is, is that God is, offers protection that's like a shadow. A shadow. And you think, well, what in the world would a shadow, how would that offer protection? Um, how would that be something that would be a help? What kind of refuge is a shadow? And the uh, verse I'm getting that from is verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Well, um, I started thinking of a shadow more as shade. And because that's what shade is. It's a shadow of something. And, you know, in all of our recent heat that we've had here in Maryland, and it's, it's chilly today, but it's not too far distant memory of the hundreds and around here. Poor Dallas and Houston are still getting those. But... Um, that just the fact that that heat was just so oppressive and so terrible when it was going on. Um, I walk my dog every morning, and uh, we go out, you know, rain, shine, cold, hot, and boy, was it hot <laughs> in July. And I can remember going fast, 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 fast the whole time we were walking in the sun, and we hit shade, and I'd slow down whew, and get out of that direct oppressive beam of the sun. Well, that's the kind of um, shadow that we're talking about. The weather in Israel is uh, from uh, May until September, um, is absolutely sunny all the time. There's no break, there's no clouds, there's no nothing. It's clear blue skies overhead. And um, you can imagine the psalmist thinking of God's shadow as, you know, that piece of shade as a real relief from that terrible, oppressive, hot sunshine that they had um, all of that time. He blocks those oppressive, relentless attacks and provides relief. That's what God's shadow does for us. Okay, the second metaphor the psalmist uses is a fortress. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That fortress, a place to run to in times of trouble. Now, in the early days when the people of Israel took over the promised land, there were no fortresses um, that they had built up. And so when an enemy would come in, everybody would run for the hills. They'd run for caves that were there in the hills. They would run for mountain strongholds, but they would leave the cities. But around the time of David and Solomon's time, they started building up fortified cities with these great big walls. Um, I read somewhere that um, they would be 15 to 25 feet thick and 25 feet high. They were impenetrable. So the enemy would come in. Now the people, instead of running for the hills, would run to the city. And they'd get there and be in that fortress in that time of trouble. So much that the attacking enemies would often be forced to lay siege to the city. They would surround the city and keep supplies from getting into it and have to be there for several years before the city um, could, would even think about surrendering because of that fortress. Well, that's the picture that the psalmist is painting for us with that idea. Third metaphor, his wings. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. I had to look up that word pinions. Anybody know what that one means? <laughs> it's the tip of the wing where the stiffest feathers are and some of the bone structure of the wing. So it's kind of the strongest part of the wing. And that's uh, what opinion is. Um, <clears throat> at night, and this would be a very familiar picture to the people that first heard this psalm um, back in ancient times because it was an ag agricultural society. And the, there was a very familiar idea of the hen who would gather her chicks at night under her wings to protect them from, one, enemies, and two, the cold. And so the wings were a protection um, like that. Jesus even said that at Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You kill the prophets. You stone the messengers God has sent you. How many times I wanted to put my arms around all your people just as a hen gathers her chick under her wings, but you would not let me. So God's wings, or, or that picture of wings, is another picture of God's protection. And the last metaphor the psalmist uses is our shield and bulwark. Oops, 
lost some of my text there. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Um, back in uh, times when this psalm was written, shields kind of looked like this thing right here, where they had, it was a wooden thing, and it was a uh, shield, and it was surrounded by metal. And um, also it had, um, well, so, sometimes they had metal. A lot of times they would just have leather that would toughen that up. And they would hold it up to shield themselves against the onslaught of the enemy when arrows would come toward them or um, rocks would be thrown at them. Uh, whatever weaponry was being used, they could protect themselves with that shield. And a bulwark really kind of carries that same idea. It's a wall built out further out into a harbor that keeps the, hot, the biggest waves from coming in. So it kind of protects from that onslaught, just like um, the shield does with arrows. And that's the kind of protection that God offers, those four things. So how many times have you run to God for protection lately? Do you even view him this way? If somebody offers protection, it's how he wants us to view him because he's given us the psalm. And it's spelled out so graphically in Psalm 91. He wants us to acknowledge our helplessness and he wants us to cling to him as our protection and our refuge. So what, kind, what is he offering his protection from? Well, the psalmist tells us in the next part of the, of the uh, psalm. The first is, it's the end, here's the enemy, is the trapper's snare. It is he who delivers, delivers you from the snare of the trapper. You know, that predator and prey kind of an idea. It reminds me, Justin a few weeks ago was talking about, um, it was speaking on First Peter 5, and he talked about the lion that's sneaking about and how the lion waits patiently and seeks out the weakest one in the pack. And that's the one he goes after. Um, that's how a predator operates. And he's also, a predator is very sneaky as well. Um, I read about the trapper of wild ducks in London, or outside of London. And when he would go to, to trap the ducks, he would put, I know this is going to sound yucky, but he, he would put a piece of turf into his mouth to disguise the smell of his breath, let, lest he um, have the, the, the ducks that he was trying to trap. Um, be able to find him. Sneaky like that. Well, that's the kind of sneaky predator we have. Uh, He's sneaky. He wants our destruction. So he stalks us and he looks for our weaknesses so he can capitalize them and bring us down. 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's a formidable enemy, but he's not the only thing we have to be wary of. And the second thing the psalmist says us is deadly pestilence. Deadly pestilence. This word is used um, throughout the Old Testament to describe like a plague or an onslaught of disease that will kill a large number of people over a short period of time. You can kind of think of like the bubonic plague or the Ebola virus or bacteria. So many times this kind of widespread disease is paralleled in the Old Testament with sin. In Psalm 103, David wrote, Forget none of the Lord's benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Two parallel phrases. He parallels iniquities, sin, with diseases. We are diseased. Romans 5.12 says, the one man, Through one man entered into the world at death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We were born with that sinful nature. We inherited it from Adam. We've sinned countless times since birth. We're not only sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. It's part of what our our nature is. And we are diseased and doomed to death. So those are the two enemies that we have to look out for. 
What threatens our well-being comes from within and comes from without. So both of those places. Um, and, it and it's the danger is constant because verse 6 tells us, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. Kind of covers day and night with what it's saying. And so this is but God tells us, if we have God's protection in mind, this is really interesting. It says, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by the day. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes, not your heart, but your eyes, and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Um, not too long ago, uh, we were with a bunch of friends, and we were all telling our labor stories. Now, you'd be kind of surprised that I would be telling a labor story at age 54, but it's pretty vivid in my mind still to this day. <laughs> it's not one of those things you forget. But anyway, we were all giving our experiences, and all of these uh, girls, I, I was kind of surprised that um, a lot of them were really into the fact that they had delivered their babies naturally. And I commend women for doing that. I am not like that. I'm a wimp. I walk into, I walked into <laughs> the delivery room three times and said, hello, my name is Julie Coleman and I get an epidural. Please have the anesthesiologist standing by. <laughs> I don't like pain. And so we, but, and, and if, you, if you really are really hard set against an epidural, it's because you've never had one. Because I'm telling you, it's awesome. You get in the bed and they put you, and the needle's not so pleasant, but once that part is done, then you lay there and you watch your contractions on the monitor next to you. And sometimes the needle goes way up and back down. You go, wow, that was a strong contraction. <laughs> but that's as far as the effect goes. It doesn't reach your heart or your emotions because, you, you know, the pain is deadened. Well, that's, I think, what the psalmist is talking about here when he says you will look only with your eyes and see that recompense of the enemies. You can see it. You can acknowledge that you're under attack. But the acknowledgement doesn't really reach your heart ever because it doesn't inspire fear. Why? Because you know that God is your refuge and he's the power. And so he has your back. Um, so what does that mean then, that God has my back? Because, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. I've just been reading a book this week. Um, it's kind of not a sequel, but it's an addition to The Hiding Place, uh, Corey Tenboom's book. It's the first guy who ever was hidden by her. And he wrote a book about his experiences. Very interesting. I've, written, I've read all of Corey Tenboom's books, and so I was interested to read his too. But what struck me was this. They were really all about God's protection. And Corey would talk about the angels surrounding the house and all these things. And, you know, they were really totally convinced that God would protect them. Well, in a lot of ways, he didn't because they got caught and arrested. Her father died in prison. Her sister died in a concentration camp. She herself struggled in the concentration camp for about a year and a half before they were finally liberated. So that's not really protection as far as I can see. I think I could do a lot better if I was thinking I was going to be protecting somebody. So what does it mean? What can we expect from that? Also, you know, people in the Bible died for their faith all the time. All the disciples were martyred. Stephen martyred for declaring Jesus was the Messiah and Savior. So God doesn't always rescue us like we think he should be rescuing us, right? So when you pray and you ask God for protection... What are you really asking for? 
Or what can you expect of him? I know what you're asking for. (laughs) But what can we expect of God with that in mind? Well, the psalmist tells us. So we're going to go on and read the rest of the psalm. The third part is the delivery. There's three ways that God has our back. He sends reinforcements. He gives us an advantageous position. And he gives us a final victory. So let's take a look at the first one. He provides reinforcements. It says, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You know, Paul tells us this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Make no mistake about it. The battles that we face are really only the beginning of reality. What we see is just the beginning of reality. It's kind of like an iceberg. Uh, Icebergs can be tremendously big. The biggest one ever recorded was 551 feet above the water. It was as tall as a 55-story building. That's big. But as 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 big as you can see above the water, what's below the water is far greater. Only one-ninth of an iceberg is above the water. The rest is far below. Well, that's the kind of reality that we face. We see things. We can see physical things that are real and threats to us, but that's only just the tip of the iceberg, that there's so much more going on. And that's why Paul says our struggle is really against the powers and the authorities of the spiritual world. Um, And a a biblical example of that is in uh, 2 Kings 6, I'm in trouble reading this, 11 to 17. Um, It's a story about Elisha, and he is um, with a servant, and he gives some advice to the king of Israel, tells him not to make this alliance with the king of Aram. The king of Aram gets really mad at him. And so he sends his armies off to where Elisha is staying in the city of Dotham, and they wake up in the morning, and the entire city is surrounded by these chariots of the king of Aram. Now the servant looks out and almost has a heart attack. (sighs) Elisha! We're in big trouble. The city's surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elisha, very calmly, prays to God and says, Lord, open his eyes that he might really see what's going on. And the servant looks out again. And this time, among all these chariots and horses and armies that the king of Aram has sent are chariots of fire and flaming angels and all these things. And all of a sudden, he sees they're outnumbered. That king of Aram is outnumbered, and he calms right down because he knows that God is in control, the things that he couldn't see. So there might be physical circumstances that we see with our eyes, but there's much more to the story that we can see. The troubles that began um, had their beginnings in the spiritual world, and God's army is at the ready to do battle for us. So he sends those kinds of reinforcements. The second kind of reinforcement God provides is himself his presence with us. What better companion, like I said earlier, would you wish for when you're facing attack? How about the God of the universe? Remember the names that the psalmist called God at the beginning of the the psalm, most high, almighty. They all speak of his awesome power, and we enjoy the presence of God's, that power with us when we're under attack. So he gives us reinforcements. What else can we expect from God? Well, he provides an advantageous position. I'll set him securely on high because he has known my name. 
You know, any war strategist knows that uh, position makes all the difference in the outcome of the battle. Military leaders generally look for places of height, uh, strategic positions, and the terrain conducive to the kind of artillery they command. And holding those positions is key to winning the battle. A great example of this, and this was many years ago, of course, but this was a Civil War battle, and this is a depiction of the battle at Little Round Top in Gettysburg. Now, I don't know if um, any of you are real familiar with Gettysburg. We were kind of um, addicted to it for a few years in our early marriage. Steve and I used to go all the time and go to the electric map and see all the cool things at the Wax Museum and all of that. And um, one of the things we would do was travel the battlefield and drive around to all the strategic spots. And one of them was Little Round Top. The Union held that position at the beginning of the battle. And it was along kind of a ridge. There was um, several places. It was Hulk's Ridge and Devil's Den and Big Round Top. And the flank went all the way across to this Little Round Top. So the South decided it was really key that they get Little Round Top so they could break that line of battle that the North had set themselves up for. So they went in. But who was up there guarding the thing was the 20th Infantry of Maine. And they held the woods against charge after charge after charge from the 13th Alabama. And in the end, because to give up that ground meant risking um, the surging Confederates from gaining the hill and then threatening the rest of the line. In the end, they held. And they kept that. And that position won the Battle of Gettysburg for the Union Army. Position makes all the difference. Well, God has given us a supreme, advantageous position. It says in Romans 5, Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Our sin has been forgiven. Our slate has been wiped clean. Satan, Revelation tells us, Satan stands at the throne hurling accusation after accusation at us. We are totally defended. God's position, he's given us, they hold no water against us. We could tell him, yes, Satan, you're right. I am a sinner. You're right. I am unworthy. But then we can point to Christ and say, but he did it. He made the way. He provided justification for me. That heavenly judge has banged his gavel, and we've been declared innocent of all charges. That's our position. That's what he's given us. So the accuser doesn't have a leg to stand on. God has our back. So he applies, supplies reinforcements. He gives us that advantageous position. And the last thing he does is God guarantees the ultimate victory says, I will rescue and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. We already know how this all ends. The good guy won. Amen? Amen. So um, we don't have to worry. Um, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. But when the perishable have put on the unperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. We can endure the trouble because we know that God is going to use it for his glory and accomplish his purposes, but the victory has already been won. So, knowing what he's done for us, knowing the enemy and who we're, at, who we're looking at, and knowing 
the kinds of uh, provisions that he gives us. So what? what? How is that going to make a difference in our lives today, tomorrow? When we go to work, get up and go to work tomorrow, how is this going to make a difference? Well, I struggled with that a little bit, trying to find where, where we need to go with it. And I found it in two verses in the psalm. Um, the first is verse 9. He says, If you make the Most High your dwelling place, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall us. So he's, at, he's telling us it's a condition. You need to do this thing. And this is what he says. We have to make the Lord our dwelling place. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> make them our dwelling place. Well, Jesus kind of gave us an idea of it in John chapter 15, where he's talking about the vine and the branches. And he says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. God wants us to abide in him. Abide in him, to live in him. Well, practically, how do we do that? Well, we can do everything we can to keep our focus on him. Everything we can. I don't care if it's sticky notes on your mirror when you get up in the morning, uh, remembering to pray before your feet hit the rug, whatever. But it's, it's got to be, God has got to be center focus in our lives. We need to make the Bible a part of our daily routine. We need to make our lives, uh, like Scott talked about last week, a constant prayer. We're just in constant conversation with the Lord all day long. We don't even have to start. Our Heavenly Father, just start talking. He'll hear you. And he wants to hear from you, and he wants you to uh, go through pro- thought process with him, and he wants you to listen to him because he'll give you ideas and, and speak to you. He wants us to be in, have lives of prayer. He wants us to cling to him and delight in his presence. Abiding in him is all about putting our focus on God. There's one more conditional thing that the psalmist offers, and this is what he says. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. So the application we should love him. Jesus said it was the most important command in the Bible. You love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. In the Bible, love isn't such an emotion as it is an action. If you want a great definition of love, one of the best is 1 Corinthians 13. You think about what it says. Love is patient, so it's acting patiently. Love is kind, being kind to other people. Love is uh, not envious. It's, it's uh, refusing to keep an account of wrongs. All those things that 1 Corinthians says, they're not emotions, they're actions. And so if we're going to love God, we're not loving him with emotion. Of course, he wants that too, but he, what, what, when the Bible talks about love, it's talking about action. So um, we, how do we love him? Whoever has my commandments and obeys him, he is the one who loves me. That's what Jesus said. So by living lives obedient to the commands that he gives in the Bible, we are giving our love to God. So we need to um, both make him our dwelling place and we need to love him. You know, yesterday um, we were up in New Jersey. Um, Yes, until 9 o'clock last night, we were up in New Jersey, and my nephew got married. And it was a lovely ceremony, and they had a beautiful wedding in this gorgeous place. But um, the best man got up to give the toast, and this is what he said. He was talking about my nephew and how he spent, like, every minute he could every weekend up in New Jersey seeing his fiance. And he said this. He said, if you want to know what's important to a man, don't listen to what he says, but look where he spends his time. 
And that is the whole idea, I think, behind this psalm. When we put our focus, our, our, we dwell in him and we love him, then that's the idea of abiding and loving. And we need to make God our priority and the driving force of our action. And when we do, then we can expect the kind of provision that he promises in this psalm. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. Yeah.